Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando. And as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. And there has been a COVID outbreak in my fully vaccinated house. Oh. And so we are Zooming, not walking or running, although we're both healthy. Everybody's healthy, but that's we good. Are. Yeah. Um, which leads me to my place of astonishment, which is, um, there is so much confusion in my life right now. (laughs) Just, um, the, the COVID, um, every institution that I have to interface with about COVID is at a different stage of adapting to the current guidelines on quarantining. So that is confusing. Mm -hmm. It is impossible to find a test to continue to monitor whether or not um, you are sick and what being responsible looks like. And so that just navigating all of that has been really confusing. And then potentially, although it's looking like certainly it's going to snow this weekend in Charlotte where we are and snow and ice is not something that we generally deal with. And that means we all go crazy. We all go crazy. But also, I mean, of the many things that I did not realize I was signing up for when I accepted a call to ministry so joyfully was like weather prognosticator and like (laughs) being the person who has to decide, um, you know, who's expected to decide when to gather and when not to gather and what that looks like and what, you know, so it just, um, and I just want to say, um, in my best cosmic scream voice, I don't understand, but in my lived experience and memory, it is true. It always snows in Charlotte on Saturday nights. It always does. You know what? You're right. You're right. It is always Mm -hmm. on a weekend. And so it's always us chump pastors who are sitting around trying to decide whether or not we should be gathering. And, you know, it's obviously not good to not gather, but it's obviously also not good to cancel when you could have gathered. So I'm just saying like the burden of making this call is really, really high. And it's really hard to prepare for worship when you are not sure if worship is going to happen. And well, just and, and part of the difficulty is that so much of your mental energy is like, okay, what's the call? What 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 call should I make? And, and it, instead, yeah. you should I be mean, concentrating on Sunday. On yeah, it's just it, it is so interesting. Like I think part of what is um, potentially interesting for folks listening to this podcast is to sort of pull back the curtain and like, what do pastors actually think and talk about? And so, like, do we think and talk about? you know, the Holy spirit and like the, you know, where our congregations are spiritually growing and justice and, you know, racial reconciliation and, and redemption and transformation of our congregations. Like, yes, but we also spend a lot of time trying to predict the weather and it is really, um, it's just really overwhelming. And and it just seems like, well, right. And it just seems like not that big of a deal. Like, Oh, you have church or you don't have church. It just is funny how much, um, mental energy it takes to handle that. So just levels of deep, deep confusion. Well, at the end of the day, I think it takes a lot of energy, mental energy, because in our heart of hearts, we want to make the right call. We want to do the right thing for God's people. 
Yes, yes. And Charlotte is a transplant city. So you have a lot of people who are native to this area. And for them, it's clear that, I mean, they don't come to church if it rains, much less if it snows. <laughs> and then other folks who are here from, from Boston, from Michigan, from Jersey, where, you know, you just, it snows and like, you what's move the problem? on life. And so it's just a really hard, um, it's a really hard thing. So anyway, that is what I'm astonished by the level of additional confusion that I have been navigating this week on top of what is already a really confusing and unclear time. And I am astonished and grateful with at just at the huge gift that the congregation has received this week, because one of our members who is actually our clerk of session has um, accepted a role as our new ministry coordinator. And we've had you know, a vacancy and temporary folks um, in that role for, for really almost a year. And so just even in the first week of her being here, I have just felt like an elephant has been lifted <laughs> off of my soul. And I am just astonished and so, 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 so grateful. Um, so I really feel like in spite of all the confusion, the clarity and gift of having Takia it's like, it's an, it's even, and it is well with my soul. <laughs> what about you? What's astonishing you? Well, I'm, I'm very happy that your family is well, um, uh, um, through this whole COVID mess and, uh, uh, glad you have more help in ministry. I mean, that that's always great. That's always such a gift yeah. when someone yeah. comes alongside and, and, and helps you. Cause there, there's just a lot to do in general at all times, but in this season, yeah, there's just a ton of things. And so, yeah, good for you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm so happy. I, I really, I, I just, I've been praying about it. I mean, like it's obviously a vital part of the ministry to have someone who is looking at the big picture and just, I mean, administration isn't sexy. If you're going to describe anything in the body of Christ as sexy, like it's not, it's, it's, it is stopping problems from happening. I mean, you are solving problems. Like so much of what you do is invisible because it just makes something bad not happen. And so I'm just so, so, so grateful. And, yeah. and I have been praying about it and I just feel like it has so been worth the wait mm. for the timing wow. to work out in this way. So I'm so That's happy. Good. I'm so That's happy. Good. <laughs> so what about you? What's astonishing you? I'm astonished by worship this past Sunday. It was, um, and, and I've said this, you know, a couple of times um, in our podcasting life, it was the best worship experience that I've had in this particular congregation. And Sunday, this past Sunday was better than them all. And of course, that, that says nothing about me. It's all about the faithfulness of God. Um, and we have this incredible musician worship leader who has a way of engaging the congregation. And, and you know that you know, part of what we're trying to work through in the Presbyterian church in, in its worship culture is this idea that the congregation is the audience, right? Mm -hmm. And we've been really trying to tackle that for the past few years. And during worship on Sunday, I looked at him and he looked at me as if to say, something ha is happening right now that we've mm -hmm. been working for and praying about that is that we're not making happen. Um, we 
we said to our media person who puts lyrics on the screen, listen, there are probably going to be a lot of songs this morning that we just sing that, that you're not going to know ahead of time. It's okay. Don't worry about putting anything on the screen. And I told Cedric, listen, just whatever the Lord gives you, just go. And we like worship for us usually lasts about an hour and 15. It was a little over two hours. I mean, we sang a lot and the congregation stayed with it. And we're talking a congregation of 60, 70, 80 year olds. And um, at one point, the clapping and some shouting um, became so intense. And, and, and this is not a large group. We're talking 30 plus people. And we just got a sense that the presence of God was in the room in a, in a different way. And as a pastor, I'm standing behind the lectern and, and I'm literally thinking, don't mess this up, right? Because we'd finished some songs and I'm thinking about, okay, you know, we don't have a printed order of service that we give to people. There, there is an order that the worship team knows. And, you know, we, we want people to um, have an experience, not simply check off items on a, um, on a list. And so I know what's supposed to be next. The offering is supposed to be next. And I'm thinking, I, I don't know what to do. If we continue singing, I, I'm concerned the people might get worn out. Mm -hmm. If we stop, am I quenching the spirit? And so what we did was um, I just asked everyone to sit and to be in silence. So if you know, there, there's, there's that scripture that says, be still and know that I am God. So, okay. <laughs> is it just me or do you all sense the, the presence of the Lord this morning? And there were lots of nods and some amens. So let's just, let's just sit. And uh, Cedric played quietly at the piano and we sat, I mean, for a long time. I mean, it was, it felt like 15 minutes. It was probably more around five and even in that, people were shouting, shouting out, and it was um, not the typical Presbyterian experience. But it's it's the it's the kind of experience that we've been praying for. Uh, we've been working toward people engaging worship, leaning into worship that did not require me or the worship leader to prompt them, right? Okay, now clap your hands. Now say this, now do that. But just let it be organic as, as God moves on the people. And we, we had that on Sunday. Um, now, <laughs> of course, some of us were already thinking, okay, so how can we do this again next week? Like, how can we capture this? And is there a formula? No, there's no, no formula, right? Um, but it was a beautiful, powerful, um, like I, I, I normally do not turn my back toward the congregation, but I did just to have a moment to wipe away tears and get myself together before preaching. It was um, yeah. amazing. I, 
I think it's so interesting. I and I what I want to talk about and dig into is um a couple of things. Like we you said, and I and I get it, but I feel like we should unpack this or just talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you said that it it was the best worship experience that you've had at Derida. And I think it's really important. And and another thing you said was like the presence of the Lord was in the room in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's really um, interesting just to like dig into that and figure out what, what do we mean when we say those things? Because taking the second one first, like to me, I mean, God is God. And so God certainly, mm-hmm. and God is unchanging. Like that's a, that's a, um, sort of foundational tenet of yes. of the revelation. And and also if you read scripture, you you certainly see that God manifests emotions, um, tenderness, anger. I mean, like that, that's just something we have to wrestle with. Like I didn't write the Bible. But I also think like for me, I'm more comfortable and who knows, my comfort doesn't matter. But it it seems to me, instead of thinking that God was present in the room in a certain way, I that what was happening in the room was that people were experiencing a, an, an awareness of God's presence in the room in a different way, that the Holy Spirit had removed sort of veils over hearts and minds. And, and I do think, and 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 I think this is confirmed in scripture, this idea that you know, we, we have to be protected from the holy in our midst because otherwise, you know, it would destroy us, right? So this idea, and then also that we protect ourselves from the holy. And that's one reason that some of our rituals can be so unhelpful and unhealthy because there are times when we use our rituals to shield us and protect us and divert us away from God. Yes, so Absolutely. I, so I think like it's this understanding of, um, you know, and maybe it's all semantics, but like, you know, the Holy Spirit revealing to us a different aspect of God's presence that maybe we weren't open to or ready for in the past, but not that God, you know, because I just want to be careful that people don't hear you saying or hear us saying what I know you're not saying, which is like, okay, we're doing worship for God. And then God is sitting some somewhere somewhere up there, out there with a clipboard. And depending on how well we do, God rewards us by different levels of God's spirit or God's favor. Like that's not, that's yeah, not what's no, that's, happening. That is not what I'm saying. <laughs> and I, and I know you're correct. not, yeah. but I think when we use, yeah. when we, when we use words like best, which yeah. I mean, which I do too, right? Like, but I also just think it's hard to make sure that what we're understanding is not best in terms of like, all of a sudden people in that room were more acceptable to God or that people did something that was intrinsically um, more pleasing to God. But like to the extent that people were empowered by the spirit, able to become more vulnerable, become more um, open to what God was, abandon themselves more. And I say yes, yes to that. Yes to that all day. And Mm -hmm. that openness invites more invites right it is both um a removal of the shield <laughs> as mm-hmm. we shield ourselves from the holy yes 
and God responding to that um, with, call it more of God's presence, uh, a, a yeah. move of God's spirit. Um, yes, it's both. Yeah, and, and we were looking, well, our whole theme for that, um, that service was celebration. Uh, mm -hmm. Psalm 145 or 146 says that they celebrate your abundant goodness. And the Hebrew word for celebrate means to gush forth like a, like a, a well. That's one part of the meaning. The other part, it's, it means to utter. So it means to utter words of, about God, right? Like we would say praise. And we also looked at that text where it says well, that God inhabits the praise of his people or is mm -hmm. enthroned. Mm -hmm. And so there is this, this, this connection between leaning into worship, engaging praise in a way that invites God. And we can do the opposite, right? We can shield, right. we can, we can go through the ritual Right. And hold God, not that we have more power than God to hold God at arm's length, but but God is sovereign to say, listen, if you want me at arm's length, I can, I, I can well, stay this different this distance I, I think, or I can overcome that. Right. And sometimes right. God does. And and mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, God, God does not. And I, because what I think is interesting is I'm just sort of remembering, you know, my own journey and struggle with examining patterns of worship that for me were really sacred and for me were really holy. And then at the beginning of our transformation process, you know, people um, with deep wisdom and lived experience in revitalizing churches coming in and saying like, essentially it felt like they were saying, Hey, your worship was wrong. And I was just being like, you know what? I'm not worshiping you. And so if you don't like my hymn, I don't really care. And yeah. this is for God. And, and I know because I have experienced God's, um, God's presence and revelation and anointing in this. So, and I think it's just important that people understand that it's not that hymns and silence and anthems by the choir are bad Correct. and contemporary music and guitars and smoke machines and shouting are good. Correct. The issue isn't the, the issue isn't the technique. Fact, the it's technique, not, it's not and the it technique. Yes. And it's not the form of worship. It's Correct. really the posture of the heart. Yes. And so in this service, we sang hymns, we sang right. choruses and we sang some gospel songs um, Cedric went from the piano to the, I mean, like a just straight organ hymn out of the right. hymn book. I mean, we did all that. Right. And, and I also just think like, just, I mean, because I think part of the other part of resistance was just sort of coming up in a church where you're really taught by looking and sometimes explicitly like, okay, here's how you come before the Lord. You, you are silent, you are wearing this, you are mm -hmm. waiting in reverence or whatever. And then you sort of have someone say like, no, no, what you need to do is like clap and shout and whatever. And I think there's this natural resistance to like, hey, God doesn't want me to put on an act, right? And just right. because this is how some people authentically worship, this doesn't mean that that's how I authentically worship. And I can remember, you know, those consultants saying like, well, if you go to a football game and scream at a football game, then you should go to worship and scream at worship. And I'm like, well, first of all, I don't go to football games. <laughs> and second, you know, so just really having that resistance and realizing that it's not to say that everyone who has done the really 
brave work that I think is only possible through grace of like lowering their shields Mm -hmm. and making themselves vulnerable to the Lord and, and having a hot heart posture of, I am turning my face towards who you are, Lord. And I am praising you like that is not the outward expression of that is going to be different for every person. And what we're not saying is like everyone in your church needs to like run the aisles and shout amen. I mean, like what we are saying is you need to be open. Yes. However, the spirit is going to move you and you need to be open to the fact that artifice before the Lord is unhealthy, whatever that looks like. So if that looks like remaining silent when the Lord is moving you to speak, that's a problem. Yeah. If it looks like yeah. raising your hand just so that the people on the pew next to you will think that you're <laughs> holy, that's a problem, that's right? A problem. And we're yeah. saying that like services that are labeled traditional mm-hmm. can be um people can participate them in them in such a way to shield themselves from the Lord. And services that are labeled modern or Pentecostal or charismatic, people can participate in those in a way to shield themselves from the presence of the Lord. So it's not the form that matters at all. It's the heart posture of the people going in saying like, am I really going to bring my heart to the altar as a living sacrifice and ask the Lord to have his way in me or not? And I would add, Openness means openness to the way you've been taught to do it mm-hmm. and a new way that makes Correct. you deeply uncomfortable. Correct. And if your thinking is, I have to do it well, I have to do it, you know, right. whatever, or I, I don't want people to look at me, then then you're going to you're gonna be a little stuck. But openness means, yeah, just step into it because it's not about you. Right. Uh, and, and I, I think... Yeah, I think that's part of what we experienced on Sunday, because again, I didn't prompt anything. I didn't ask people to do anything. Right. I didn't say, "Okay, now we're all going to clap." Now we're all. It it was a very spontaneous thing that came from the pews toward us who were up front, and um, yeah, I found myself having to uh, be open to something different and not get stuck in my, okay, this is what we do next in worship. Right. And I think that's why we have to be so careful about how we use words like excellent and best because of what you just said, Mm -hmm. that if you're open to God calling you to move in a way that is not comfortable and is unknown, then that is not going to feel excellent or best, right? So you have to be willing to be led by God into something where it feels awkward, where you don't, you're not an expert where you're, I mean, you know, and if you are only, if you're caught in this trap of it has to be excellent, then it's going to be really hard to make yourself vulnerable before the Lord. And, um, and I, I mean, I know what, I know what you meant because I know you and because we've been having this conversation for 10 years, but I often hear pastors First of all, I often hear pastors talk about words like excellent and best. And I'm like, I just think that that is um, and a they're, cultural they're, they're, value. They're, yeah, they're talking about it was it was record, you know, CD quality and it was all good. Right. And, you know, we it's, it's a product that we should put out in the marketplace. It was so right. good. Or like it has to be as good as what is produced wherever mm-hmm. in order to be yes. worthy of God. We're talking and about I'm production. Thinking, yes. Right. And that's, not, and it's funny. I mean, it's funny that we're having this conversation because what I said on Sunday 
in worship in the preaching moment, which was was not in my notes, but I just got a little carried away. What? Uh, but, <laughs> um, How but unusual I, is that? Yeah, not at all. Not at all. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we we're talking about our word of the year at the Grove is seek. And we were just talking about, I mean, and it's very, um, it's very connected. This idea of seeking, we, we think that it's, you know, going up on a mountain and blissing out with God and having this, you know, having this experience of like competency and excellence and blissful blessedness. And the reality is seeking God, when you're seeking God, <laughs> it's when you are pressing forward towards God in places of, you know, deprivation and loss and repentance. And, you know, that's when you're seeking. Um, and I, and I was just talking about, you know, one reason for me that worship is so important is because, you know, we come to this place and our worship leaders put songs in our mouths and, mm. and, and, and the preaching moment and our prayers, you know, seek scripture, sink scripture down into our souls so that in moments of deep disorientation, um, there's something in us that isn't of us. And we were talking about Jonah in the belly of the fish and like his prayer is just, you know, made up of all of these pieces of Psalms that, so that in his moment of crisis and terror, when he opened his mouth, what came out were truths of God that he wasn't currently experiencing so much to the point that he is praying about his salvation in the past tense. Like he's in the belly of the fish saying, I called to you and you rescued me like in the past tense. And it has not happened yet, but that's, you know, and so I think, and I said, you know, from the pulpit um, that I, I said, and this is why I don't care if our worship team is good. If it sounds good, I don't care if they sound good. That's not success for us. Mm. Success is is the congregation following you into worship? Yeah. Is the congregation yeah. having the experience of singing these words and to sing is to pray twice, right? Like, is that, that sort of spiritual transfusion happening in their heart and soul? If that's happening, it's excellent worship. That's good, yes. If that's not happening, then no matter what an objective person might how evaluate the quality of the sound or the production or the performance on the stage. If people are not participating and being led into the space of worship by the worship leaders, not the worship performers, the worship leaders, if that's not happening, it doesn't matter how it sounds. It's not good. But if it is happening, it doesn't matter how it sounds. It's excellent. It's best. And I think, um, and I, then I walked away and I was like, I mean, I think that our worship team is amazing. And I love being led by them into worship so much. And my, just like my knowledge and experience of worshiping God, it is like going to a conference every week, right? Like yeah. I used to have these worship experiences where like, oh, I can't wait to go to Montreat. I can't wait to go to wherever. Cause there's going to mm -hmm. be great worship. And it was, and it was, yeah. and then at the Grove, it's like that every week. Like oh, I don't have awesome. to wait, you know? Yeah. So, so my experience every week is they, they are amazing. And they do sound good. They sound great. But the reason that they're amazing, like the people on the radio sound great. And I'm not, it's hard. I don't worship with them, but right. I worship with, with my brothers and sisters in this space and they lead us into worship. And I think it's just that re, you know, we have to know for ourselves and then help our people just like reclaim that word. Like when we talk about good worship, 
Mm. We know what we're talking about. And, um, and somebody else might not have eyes to see or ears to hear, and that's okay. And also it's important that we help people understand that like gifts that are valuable to the Lord are often dismissed as trivial and worthless in the eyes of the world. And so we need to understand, um, understand that, give our people Jesus eyes and Jesus ears to hear. So, um, and I love, sorry, this is going to be ironic. What I'm saying next irony alert. (laughs) Um, like we really, um, struggle and it's because of me because because I'm an extrovert. <laughs> I, do, I know how important it is to have silence in worship. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. It's not comfortable, but I know how deeply reverent and powerful it is to be silent together. Um, and I mean like silent, silent, like no, no soft playing underneath, like yeah, just yeah. silent. Um, and how difficult that is. And um, so I think the idea of saying like, I mean, to our point, like it's not about externalities, like that that openness to the spirit and awareness of the pre- uh, of the presence of God in a new way, you can think like, oh, that's because our, you know, people were participating, shouting in a certain way, lifting their hands in a certain way, singing in a certain way. But but it it's not that, it's a heart posture, which means you can have that experience in silence as much or more than you can doing something that is externally active. And I think yeah. that's really and, powerful. And in large measure, the singing, shouting, clapping is a response to the presence of God. One of the things we did was, okay, let's just, let's just do a, a meditation. Let's just think about the goodness of God. Just simple things like what you had for breakfast this morning, the clothes you're wearing, the car that got you here, the place you call home. Let's just think about the goodness and the greatness of God. And you know, we started with that kind of meditation times. Let's, let's be aware of who God is and what God has done, not long, long ago in a galaxy far away, but for me in my life that I can name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's just really interesting. Like I, I, I mean, as much as I grew up outside of the church, I was, I, I met Jesus in the context of a mainline church. So I just know there's real resistance to like, well, I, you know, that's not our way, or I couldn't do that. It would be fake. And I mean, I, I mean, I just think it's really important just to have an openness mm-hmm. to the reality of like, it wouldn't be comfortable. It wouldn't be natural, but there's, that might be true. And it might not ever be a way you authentically express yourself, but the assumption that it will never be is as arbitrary and unfaithful as the assumption that it has to be, right? And so, I mean, and our worship communities need to be spaces where people are free to take risks in in how they present themselves to the Lord and where people are open to the reality that my way and where I am on my journey isn't normative for everyone else around me and shouldn't be. And so there's no right way to worship. Um, there's either worshiping or not. Um, so no, that's really, well, I'm really, I'm happy for you. I feel like I need to say that worship at the Grove was the best it's ever been last week too, because it was. Well, okay, very good. So what, um, what are you thinking about? So I, I was going to talk about this 
whenever the last time we were able to meet was, um, there is a hashtag, um, and it's not really trending so much anymore, but I think people should go and look at it, especially people like us who have a real heart and vision for healthy and holy multi-ethnic communities. And it's called, um, I had a white friend <laughs> and it started, did you, do you know about this? No, <laughs> okay, funny so to me. I, yeah, I just need to um, find the, um, the article so that I can look at it and get all my thing right. So, so there's a woman who is a representative um, and her name is Patricia Morgan. And I don't really know what level of government that she um, serves in, but she tweeted um, and this is what her tweet said. Um, I had a black friend. I liked, she's a white woman. I should start by saying that she's a white woman. I had a black friend. I liked her and I think she liked me too, but now she is hostile and unpleasant. I'm sure I didn't do anything to her except be white. Is that what teachers and our political leaders really want for our society? Divide us because of skin color, hashtag CRT. So um, this was not, okay, first of all, this was at nothing in the legislative house that she is serving in like CRT was not on the agenda. As we have clarified before, yes. critical race theory is a graduate level legal theory that is not taught in any kindergarten through 12th grade school in the country, period, end of story. But CRT has become kind of a, a, a straw man um, mm -hmm. to that anytime we look honestly at the tragic parts of American history in a way that makes white people uncomfortable um, and in a way that does not justify white supremacy as acceptable or necessary, um, th that is labeled critical race theory and, it, and, and, and is um, lifted up by a lot of white people as being um, un-American, as dishonoring the troops and as um, racist towards white children. Like you should not make white children feel guilty for being white, which of course is not what anyone is doing. What we're saying is we can look at the way in American history, we have betrayed our own American ideals and we can mourn um, just the real suffering of, I mean, I would say our brothers and sisters, but fellow citizens who, did not, um, were not afforded those certain unalienable rights that, you know, we proclaimed were, um, were given by God and couldn't be taken away. And so, so it's interesting. She, you know, she just makes this tweet and says, I had a white friend and, or I had a black friend and I didn't, I didn't do anything. I know I didn't do anything. And now she's hostile towards me. And the problem is critical race theory. So, um, so then <laughs> Michael Harriet from the root who, I love, um, responded to that on Twitter and started a hashtag um, that said, I had a white friend and said, you know, I had a white friend. Um, our relationship was perfectly pleasant. All I did was share my real experience of, of being a black man in this country. And now this person is hostile to me, you know, hashtag I had a white friend. And then that started trending and lots of people of color started sharing their experiences of why friendships that they had had with white people had ended. Um, so, you know, someone said like, uh, the ones I can remember 
um, like someone said, you know, I had a white friend and we did a ride along with cops when I was in eighth grade. And the cop joked about how this wouldn't be the last time I saw the end of a cop car. And my friend laughed and then hashtag I had a white friend. Right. And so, and people are just sharing these like incredibly egregious and painful um, things that they're white friends had said and done to them that had made them decide this friendship isn't healthy or real and I don't I don't want to be in in it anymore and I and then there was a lot of backlash to that to that conversation where people of color were sharing reasons why their friendships with white people ended and I guess all I want to say is I think it's really helpful um, especially for white people to go and look that up and read those um, testimonies about what it has been like for people of color to be friends with white people, not all white people, not all black people, whatever, but but the people who are sharing their experiences are telling the truth. And I think you know most white people would be astonished to see, the kinds of just really painful and harmful and hateful things that not white people in general, but a white friend has expressed to a black friend. And I think it is helpful um, just, you know, just it's if someone is going to share with you the truth of their life, that's a gift. And to and I think it's also just want to note that a lot of people just were really angry and defensive and felt like it was really inappropriate. Um, and and I I think that for people who want to be part of healthy and holy multi-ethnic communities, you know, Black people don't need to, although I think there's um, some relief in knowing that they're not the only one with this experience, but Black people know what it's like to be friends with white people. But white people don't know what it's like for Black people to be friends with white people. And so then when you can see like, oh, I I get why someone might feel um, wary <laughs> about trusting. I mean, these stories are just heartbreaking, the things that have happened to people um, and I, and I think it's really, um, um, I, I think it's just a, a real gift um, to do that. Um, so so I, I wanted to encourage people to do that. Um, yeah, so one of them is um, like, hashtag, I had a white friend that I no longer talk to because his mother kept calling me Shaniqua, even though my name is Stacy and he thought it was hilarious, right? I mean, so again, like that's, horrific that people would think it was funny to joke about, you know, stereotypes and to make jokes about black culture and just to refuse to call someone by their name and, and to say like, well, I think it's funny. So I get to decide that it doesn't hurt your feelings. And again, I just think it's helpful for white people to know that even if you haven't done that, that is an experience that a wound that people carry and we need to be aware of that. And, and I think, you know, for me as a white person, and I know I don't do this perfectly, um, but like, because I, I have been given the grace to sort of be listening and aware, like what I realize is like, okay, I want to be really intentional about how I communicate honor to, um, 
members of my, I mean, to everyone in my community, but especially people in my community who are people of color, who, who have experienced so much dishonor from white people in general and white leaders. And so I just don't want to, I just, I just want to go out of my way to articulate, like, I'm going to make it awkward <laughs> to make it clear that, um, that I have a, a deep honor and reverence for the image of God of people in my congregation who don't look like me, because I, because I can't assume that that is going to come across if I'm not intentional. Um, and because I want to build a foundation of honor and respect so that when the ways that my soul has been malformed by the sin of white supremacy, like when that manifests in my life, someone will feel like maybe ministering to me and trusting me enough to say, hey, when you did this thing, it was deeply harmful to me, but I know that you love me and I know you don't want to harm me. So I'm telling you so that we can repair this. Because I think what is interesting about all those hashtags is clearly people are just like, this person is not my friend. I can't tell them that they hurt me. Um, or they're, they're saying, I only want to be your friend if it's okay that I continue to hurt me in this way. And that's just not friendship. I mean, that's like an abusive husband being like, well, I, you know, baby, I just, sometimes it's just too much and I hit you, but I bring you flowers afterwards. And like, no, just say like, no, I don't have to be in an intimate relationship with anyone. So I don't have to hate you. I don't have to do ill towards you, but I don't have to be anyone's friend. Friendship is a sacred gift. And it's one that we need to receive with great reverence and honor and treasure. And if we don't want to do that for other people, they're not going to be our friends. And that's not a them problem. It's an us problem. Um, so anyway, that's, that's what I've been thinking about a lot. And I really encourage white people to go seek that out. Yeah, I want to go back for a second to that um, original tweet or post. Um, I had a Black friend and um, what struck me about it was the sense of victimhood. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> the thought that came to me was, man, um, some, some positive change must be on the horizon because I think one could draw a line, see a thread through American history that when white people feel um, threatened by change, there is this talk of victimhood, especially around children. Uh, I mean, we see that really with, with desegregation, right? If you, if you watch news clips, it's like, ah, how could we do this to our you know, white children, make them go to school? And, and there's a sense of the, the government is doing this horrible thing to our children and oh, this is terrible and you know, we're such victims. And then you get um, all of the uh, desegregation of schools in the country. So I'm, I'm thinking this might be a sign as, as horrible as that, um, that tweet or post was, like this might be a sign that something is, is, is shifting in, in the culture. Well, and I also think, I mean, it's just helpful looking at the initial tweet. I mean, I don't dislike, I don't, I, I don't discredit or, or dismiss this woman's experience of having a black friend who she liked and enjoying the relationship. It's misunderstanding it, why. Well, it's also, I think, just a misunderstanding of what healthy and mature relationships look like, which is to say, if you care about someone and then you observe 
like that this person is angry to me or this person is pulling away, a healthy and a mature person doesn't automatically think, well, well, whose fault is it? Because I know for sure it wasn't mine, which is literally what she says. Like, I know I didn't do anything. Well, do you though? Like, did you go to your friend and say, hey, I really treasure our friendship and it seems like something is different. And I wonder um, what, you know, did I do or say something that has, you know, hurt you or made you angry? And I'm just, you know, I, I want to repair this relationship, but instead, I mean, it's clear from the wording of the tweet that she never asked this woman anything. She just said, it, it's, this is critical race theory manifesting in my life. And I, I think, you know, for, for people who want to be the body of Christ together, you know, we have to understand that like conflict is going to come up. Like we are going to sin and wound one another. And the answer isn't just to abandon those relationships and tell ourselves a story that makes us innocent. It's to say like, look, I know that God is good. And the other thing I know is I am not like, I know that sin is always going to be a factor in my life. So it is always a possibility that I have done something wrong. And I am not a person who believes that my belonging or my worth intrinsic worth is at stake. And so I can come to someone and ask, Hey, have I sinned against you? And if the answer is yes, I can hear that. And I can ask for your forgiveness because I already know I'm a sinner and my fundamental identity is based in the reality of I've been saved by grace and I'm not too proud to acknowledge that I need, um, forgiveness from God and sometimes from other people. And that's, you know, one of our guiding principles at the Grove is, you know, we are a community of people who practice forgiving and being forgiven. Because if you are willing to forgive, but you're never willing to be forgiven by another human, then you're never going to have any healthy relationships. Yeah, that's a problem. So um, that the whole, the whole thing, I think is just a really interesting um, a really interesting conversation for especially white people who want to be part of healthy and holy multi-ethnic communities to sit with and wrestle with and think about. So, so what are you thinking about? Well, as great as worship was on Sunday, it ended with um, some sad news for us as a body of believers, as a family of believers. Our much-loved musician and worship leader, Cedric Meekins, announced that he is leaving us uh, to take a, a call in Florida. And um, I've had a chance to sit with him and talk to him and get to know him over these months. And you now he's, he's in his mid-50s. And one of the things that has just been his, in his heart for many, many years is to be in full-time music ministry in a church mm -hmm. and that that that's a challenging thing especially these days and his full-time employment right now is um at a school and he's with us part-time and so this opportunity opened up and it's it's wonderful i mean i i can't be mad at him at all it's yeah, a wonderful yeah. opportunity yeah. Uh, and we wish him well but it's it's sad for us uh because we had been praying and working 
toward, as, as I said earlier, shifting the worship culture uh, to one that is about engaging worship and not making the congregation the audience. And he came in and just really helped with that. And he's just been a real gift. And so when we announced to the worship team last Thursday night, I mean, people cried. I mean, yeah. like burst into tears, boo-hoo crying. Um, and he, he is, I mean, I've been, I've been preaching for almost 30 years. Um, um, I've been ordained, gosh, 25. Um, and he is probably the easiest musician I've ever worked with and probably the most competent. Yeah. If he wanted to be, he could, he could have a really swollen head, but mm -hmm. he is so laid back and um, such a hard worker at the same time. He has a real shepherd's heart in addition to being yeah. a talented musician. And I've seen like, there, there was... <laughs> There was a time when someone on the team said something to him and I was about to clap back because it was just inappropriate. And he handled it with such grace and such shepherding. I was like, ah, oh, I see you. I, I, I see what you did just there, just then. Um, and he has a, he, he is, he, he is a pastor at the piano. Um, yeah. And so his new title, Minister of Music, is really appropriate because he he yeah. does have a shepherd's heart. And we hate to see him go, but we know that this church in Florida will be greatly blessed by his ministry. And um, I mean, he's been a real gift to us. I mean, such a gift, so much of a gift that people are asking how can we get another one of him? Well, we can't yeah. get another okay. one of him. Great. God will send us someone else. The same Lord who sent Cedric to us will send us someone else. We will grieve his leaving. Mm -hmm. We'll be sad for a while. And, and then we'll seek the Lord for someone else. Um, but it, it's a great loss for us and a great gift to the, the saints in Florida. And one of the ways I framed this for the people of God at Dariah Church was to say, hey, one lesson I learned early in ministry, because I used to nearly fall apart every time someone told me that they were leaving the church, mm -hmm. some great, wise, older saint told me once, preacher, realize that everybody in your life is temporary. Yep. At some point, everyone is going to leave. You are temporary. Even when you are the, quote, permanently installed pastor, oh, yeah. guess what? There, there will be a day. You can stay there 40 years. There'll be a day when you breathe your last and you will go, everyone except for the Lord is temporary. Yep. And that yep. really helped me to be yep. able to let people go and bless yep. them on their way out. And I hope yep. that helped the congregation as well. Well, and I think like, that's what I, I had just written down, like seasons. I think it's really helpful just to realize everyone who we are, who's in our life and definitely everyone who's in our churches is, is, you know, our seasons have overlapped. And that's one reason that we really treasure one another while, while we have one another, because there's this deep knowledge that like, this will not, this season, we don't know how long it will last. The only thing we do know is that at some point it will end. And we have to just be really open to the fact that um, not 
you know, something doesn't have to be bad for the season to have ended. And I just really just deeply identify with how hard it is when you love someone and honor someone so much. And when they're coming into the community has been such a place of encouragement and answered prayers and, you know, and that it's really hard um, when they leave and when in the short term, like it really will be a challenge. Um, and I think one thing that's helpful for me, and it, it's just funny because I'm, I just feel like I've just been getting on the other side of this. Um, but, you know, cause when we, you know, we have a new ministry coordinator and when, um, our, our friend Rachel, who was our previous permanent ministry coordinator, when she left, I mean, it was just so hard. Um, but she left actually to work a, a little bit less and to, to write her first book. She had this book contract. And I mean, it just, it was so clear to me that it was the right move for her. Like, it was so clear to me, like what you're saying about Cedric, that this was something that, that had been long growing and the Lord was bringing something long promised to fulfillment and fruition in her life. And that, I mean, I just, I knew that. And so I was so genuinely happy for her and also just so authentically overwhelmed by like, what does this mean? (laughs) And really having to recognize that, okay, this is a time when it, you, if you operate out of your feelings, you can really operate out of a place of pity party. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't fair. I mean, like just, and this is really a time where you have to say, um, what is good for one of us is good for all of us. And this evidence of God's faithfulness to Rachel should encourage me that God will be faithful to me and to all the other saints at the Grove. And so, you know, there will be a a season um, and we don't know how long that season of, you know, fulfillment will last and there will be challenges and difficulties in that season, but there are challenges and difficulties in every season. And so now we know, you know, what some of them are going to look like in this season, but like, no, for sure, that sort of that feeling of like, oh, well, it's all down here from there, downhill from here, and you'll never get anyone this good, or you had your one person and now they're gone. And, you know, all of that sort of fear and anxiety um, that feels so real, you can just sort of notice that and like, yes, it does feel like this. And I know the promises of God. And not only that, but I've experienced God's faithfulness to me and to this congregation in the past. And so I trust God with our present and with our future. And I trust God that even when this next season is going to be difficult, that that difficulty won't be wasted. Mm. Um, And so I just, you know, and then it's just interesting, like, this is the first week that our new permanent person has started. And I just am like, oh, thank you, God. Like, I just thought my felt, (laughs) like, oh, gosh, it's never, you know, you know, it's never going to be as good again. And I'm like, oh, this you know, having Takia shift into this new ministry role is such a gift and is, is not the same, but is as good, right? Like, and and so that I I think is um, what we have to stand in and that what we have a chance to do in set in moments that are setbacks is to go like, okay, but what I know for sure is that God is going to get us through this and 
what that means is the next time a setback comes up, we have a deep well of faithfulness that we can pull from, and we don't have to be just undone and overwhelmed by life. Like this is life. And there's never going to be a point where we don't have a challenge to navigate. So it's, it's about being able to walk in quiet, steadfast faithfulness, even when something really hard is on the horizon. And I mean, it's hard to lose a ministry leader who just is so gifted and so anointed and is a friend and is someone you can lead, lean on and who is really co-leading that like, that's a, that's hard. Like, yeah. So, yeah, but I'm, I am grateful um, with you that God who led Cedric to Derrida will lead the next person to Derrida because God is going to be faithful to Derrida because absolutely anything that's has ever what happened God does <laughs> right and anything that's ever happened at Derrida has been because of the faithfulness of God absolutely. so Cedric might not be in ministry at Derrida anymore but God will still be and that and that's um, and Cedric was a manifestation of God's faithfulness not Cedric's faithfulness yeah so what are you preaching on Sunday? Well, Wait, you're not preaching. I am not preaching. Originally, what? I was supposed to be going out of town this weekend for a family wedding reception, and that got COVID canceled. Um, but I had already invited our friend named Cedric, <laughs> but a different Cedric. A different this Cedric. This is a two Cedric podcast. Um, but our friend um, Cedric Lundy, who um, has a really amazing podcast um, with a friend of his um, named Sanchez who their podcast is called token confessions and yeah. they do a podcast um that is is about everything but you know sort of comes out of their experience as being one of the few people of color on white evangelical um church staff anyway and that's amazing token confessions you should definitely go listen to it but um cedric is coming to preach at the Grove. So I'm really grateful. He's preaching from Galatians to the first part of our mission statement, which we always try to look at in um, January and uh, which is inviting all. Um, so what does it mean to be a congregation that is inviting all, um, not just welcoming and why, and why do we see everyone we meet as a brother and a sister um, and a part of this new family that God has restarted in Jesus. So anyway, so that's what's happening. And I am excited to come and one way or another, even if it's just a zoom call uh, streamed to our Facebook page, one way or another, we will be worshiping on Sunday and we will hear that message. And so on. What about you? What are you preaching? Well, several weeks ago, I used uh, the analogy uh, when talking about Mary and Martha of a sponge that uh, we need to be like sponges. That is, we have times where we soak in God's presence. Mm -hmm. And then we are squeezed out in ministry. And if you only soak in, um, a, a, a sponge becomes sour. Um, and if a sponge is only used and never soaks in water, it becomes dry and brittle. And so you need both. And so last week was about celebration. It's about soaking in God's presence through praise and worship and celebration. And this week is about being uh, poured out Please. in ministry, about being squeezed. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and we're looking at Ephesians 2, same text as Cedric, which is interesting, uh, that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, with God, which God prepared uh, in advance for us to do. Uh, and uh, we're pairing that with Mark chapter 2 about the friends carrying the paralyzed man on a mat. Um, 
And ultimately, th this is about, um, listen, our DNA as believers is to do good. And last week we were celebrating the goodness of God. And when we talk about the goodness of God, it, it's really not about God's moral perfection. It's about God's desire to do good things for you and me. And so when we talk yes. about good works, God, God created us, right? God engineered and designed us to be good to others. And so, well, and to do, to display God's goodness. And to display, right? yes, yes. Right. Because yes. I love that text um, because the friends are not the ones who heal. The friends are the ones who do what they can do, which is they whatever, do what they can do. Carry him, yes. Right. And you would think, like, well, what does it matter to build a mat, build a mat for your paralyzed friend? They'll still be paralyzed. But but God meets them in what they can do and gives the healing that their friend needs. And that well, part of what I want to say is they, they see a need, they start to address it. They run into an obstacle, right? They can't get through the front door because of the crowd. They get creative, mm -hmm. right? They lower their friend down. Jesus heals and, and, and they, they, they simply let Jesus be Jesus, but they mm -hmm. do what they can do with the creativity that God has given them. They did not say, well, you know, oh, there's an obstacle or, you know, we, we can't help all the paralyzed people, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they do what they can do. And God bless that abundantly. And this just came to mind, you know, that, that place that says, um, give, and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together. We often apply that to money, but mm -hmm. I think when, when it was originally spoken or written, it wasn't about money. It was about I think it was Jesus saying to the disciples, God has done so yeah. much good in your life. So now yeah. you do good and it, yeah. it'll be given back to you, pressed down, chicken together, running over. So yeah, that's, that's the direction we're going in. It's about the good works that we are designed to do. We're, we're right. created for this. And I'm, and I'm, I think I want to say something like the, the reason why we need to lean into this one reason it honors God, but also the enemy of our souls will yeah. tempt us and try to convince us that we're not designed for this, that mm -hmm. there to, to get us in a, a kind of a scarcity mentality um, and, and, the, and we'll be inward focused. And so we, this is a, a battle we've, we've got to engage. Well, the world says, you, you know, your job is to take care of yourself and your people yep. and other people need to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And the world says the Lord helps those who help themselves, which is not in scripture, it but it's not in the Bible. <laughs> but I think like what I love and what I think is so important in the way you're presenting this is I think we often go to the other extreme and think like, okay, well, Jesus saved me. And so now it's my job to save other people or Jesus healed me. And so now I need to heal other people or God has been so good to me. And so now I'm obligated to do whatever. And that can really lead to just sort of a real hierarchical sort of non-mutual anti-shalom kind of thing. And I think that um, what is so great, what I think so many people don't understand, and we need to say it over and over again, is the goodness of God. When we say that God is good, what we're saying is God's good. God does good to us. Like mm -hmm. one of the things that is most intrinsic about God's nature is 
God is good to us. So we call God good because God is good to us. And I think so often God's goodness almost becomes like a threat. Like we hear it like, well, God is so holy and pure that you disgust God and you need to stay far away from God. And like God is so offended by your badness because God is good and different than you. And so to really say like, no, 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 no. God's goodness is not a, uh, is not a barrier between you and God. It is God's goodness that is the pathway that, you know, it is God's goodness that makes God want to heal us and love us and be in relationship with us. So God's goodness doesn't separate you from God. God's goodness is the thing that overcomes the separation. And so that idea that like these friends knew that God was good, they knew that Jesus was, you know, God's son. And so they, they had an expectation, not that they had a responsibility or an obligation to heal their friend, but that if they could just get their friend to God, that God would be good to their friend. And I think that that's so helpful for us because I was just having a conversation this morning with someone who was called into ministry in a particular situation and was feeling so overwhelmed. And we had to just stop and say like, hey, but remember your job you're not responsible for saving someone and, and, and was feeling like I can't, nothing I do will matter because the need is so great. And to say like, no, like the way that the kingdom of God works is people doing ridiculously small, pitiful things mm -hmm. and God showing up and being good through those things. So yes. it's not, you know, it's the, we give our stupid dinky five loaves and two fishes to a crowd of thousands, which is dumb, except that God is good to us and that God's goodness is expressed in our, um, what we were made for, which is to do dinky small things, believing not in the things we do, but in God's goodness. And so I, I think that's just so, such a powerful message because one reason we end up dry or sour is because we think it's all up to us. So we either or or there is just a limited supply of goodness. And so I've got to conserve, hold on. Um, right. yeah. And we don't see ourselves as channels of the goodness of God into the world. The abundant, the never the, abundant goodness of God. Yeah, which is part of the mystery of the whole church, of being the body of Christ. It, right, that, that, that the minute, the goodness of Jesus Christ, the ministry of Jesus is active and present in the world by the power of the spirit through the church, right? And not the and church like, institution, but correct the people. Right. And, and the very fact of our pitifulness is it's good not a barrier because it, because it magnifies how good God is. And I think like having that kind of orientation allows you to approach something like Cedric moving on from a space of like, this will not affect God's goodness to us. And so it's it's easy to experience the goodness of God when you have this amazing ministry leader. And, and that's great. But what's really wonderful is when you can experience the goodness of God in the middle of lack, in the middle of uncertainty, in the middle of disruption. And then the thing that initially seemed like it was going to derail you becomes a thing that actually is worked together for good because we're the people who can not react in destructive ways or panic because we 
because we've learned to trust God's goodness and we've learned our role, which is small and limited, but we don't despise being weak and small and limited. So I'm, I'm excited for hearing your sermon. It's going to be great. Oh, thank you. That's very nice. Well, I mean, that's what people say about me. That Kate Murphy, she's nice. Hmm. <laughs> nice. Is, is that what they say? What they say. Somebody <laughs> called me sweet the other day and I was They like, called you what? Sweet. Whoa, okay. <laughs> I was like, I received that. I'm tempted to respond to that. And no, we're going to take this conversation <laughs> offline. So um, thanks so Listen, much for listening. There are, there are a lot of good things to say about you. Sweet. Oh. Sweet as pie. Another friend's <laughs> mother said that. No, this is even better. Another friend's mother once said that I was demure. What? <laughs> we're all still laughing about that. Anyway, stop. Enough of this. Thank you for listening to this podcast. <laughs> and if you want to find out more, if you want to hear that sermon um, that uh, is happening at Derida Prez this weekend, you need to go to their website, deridaprez.org, D-E-R-I-T-A-P-R-E-S.org. You can check out their YouTube channel or the podcast, which is on the Podbean website. And if you want to find out what God is doing at The Grove, you can go to our website, thegrovecharlotte.org. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter, which will be delivered straight to your inbox. You can check out our YouTube channel, The Grove Charlotte, or um, uh, upload sermons. You can hear Cedric's sermon from this Sunday um, on The Grove Church podcast, which is on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. I have to stop saying this because it's just not even funny anymore. It's like the dad joke of podcast lines. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.